Welcome to HR Trends. I am your host, Claire Morin. And today we're discussing how employers can respond to the mental health crisis here in the US. We've got two wonderful guests with us. Dr. Philip Lewandowski is the Director of Psychology at McLean Hospital, a world-renowned psychiatric hospital in Boston. He's also Associate Professor of Psychology at Harvard Medical School. For more than three decades, he's been directing and developing cutting-edge clinical programs at McLean Hospital. He's recognized around the world as a pioneer of integrated cognitive behavioral treatment systems for people with serious mental illness. He's also inspired a generation of students in their pursuit of their professional careers. So welcome, Phil. Thank you. We also have Swapnil Prabha, who has 15 years of experience in the insurance industry, and she's currently the Vice President of Digital Offerings at Unum. Prior to joining Unum, Swapnil spent seven years at McKinsey & Company, where she was a leader in the insurance practice, focused on digital services across all lines of business and employee benefits specifically. Here at Unum, she's been developing our behavioral health solution. So welcome, Swapnil. Thank you, Claire. So it's May, it's Mental Health Awareness Month. There's perhaps never been a year, right, where we're all more ready <laughs> to talk about mental health in the workplace. It's such a huge need to be building awareness, talking about this in all of our communities. And, and Phil, I wonder if we could begin with you, if you could share your perspective of the COVID-19 pandemic and, and what that's been having on mental health here in the US. Um, I know that you know all the data is showing the spiking trends of, of need. Uh, I wonder if you could share your perspective. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a situation where it's not like there weren't mental health issues before uh, the uh, pandemic. Uh, if you look at the statistics uh, about uh, how many people have substance abuse problems, how many people have psychological problems uh, prior to the pandemic. Those numbers have been going up uh, quite quickly over the last uh, five years or so. Uh, the pandemic comes and it introduces a whole new uh, area of trying to control how you deal with uh, the, the likelihood of getting uh, uh, the illness, uh, you're taking care of your family, uh, your job, you're not, you're not working from home, you're not able to go into work. Uh, your sense of being in control is really extremely compromised. And the relationship between your feeling of control and your psychological well-being is enormous. And I also point out that the psychological well-being related to your physical health is enormous. So it's, it's impacting in a three-dimensional kind of way. So the numbers are going up, the, how to manage it. Uh, people are turning to one another. Uh, they're trying to help their uh, loved ones. Uh, and it is a situation that we were, we were not prepared for. Uh, and you look at how people have tried to cope with it. Uh, you see them uh, discussing, oh, I'm, I'm gonna go for a long walk today, today so I can have some exercise. 
And then before they put their sneakers on, they look at the paper and say, 4,000 new cases uh, in their area uh, of uh, having the pandemic right that close. What do I do? Do I go outside? Do I not go outside? Uh, how do I handle that? Uh, talk to a loved one. How do I handle that? The child sitting over in the corner. I want to go to school. I want to go to school. Uh, all of that has had an enormous impact on the psychology, on the family relationships, on the satisfaction of jobs, uh, and on personal self-satisfaction of feeling like it can be comfortable and cope in your in your life. So true. Swapnil, I wonder what, what your thoughts are on that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, agree with the, everything Phil said. And again, recognizing that this is not a new problem, but it is definitely more magnified from uh, over the last uh, you know year uh, more than a year now that we've been going through i did also want to perhaps uh, and i'm curious to see what phil thinks about this i wanted to pick up on a couple of themes that i heard one is around workforce satisfaction and then the other is around perhaps uh, curious if there were certain um demographics, if you will, uh, Phil, that you at, uh, at McLean have seen an increase on folks really needing that help. So curious to know about both of those in terms of workforce satisfaction, as well as certain demographics, if you saw an increase in demand for, for mental health support in certain areas. Well, the, the workforce satisfaction is an interesting one uh, because there was a wholesale initiative uh, to have people not come to work, uh, to stay at home, work, but not be in a social environment, et cetera. For some, uh, they enjoyed that. Uh, it was something new. They felt appreciative. They often felt embarrassed saying that. I had several clients who talked about that. Uh, but it, you have a situation where uh, your, your routine has been broken up. And likely a spouse's or loved one is there. Uh, so how that balances with your satisfaction with well, a job varies from, from person to person. Uh, we've had uh, situations where a person has been admitted to the hospital because they couldn't stop their, doing their work. Uh, that was something that was safe to them, uh, but they were ignoring their, their, their uh, diet, their exercise, uh, that uh, kind of thing has that kind of an impact. Uh, so there's no question that mood, mood anxiety, uh, mood depression, uh, sense of being out of control, all of those things compromise the, the work experience. And the more a person can try to get it back into control with even small steps, it'll likely increase their sense of, okay, at least I'm, I'm contributing here. Uh, I'm feeling good about myself uh, and uh, I will be ready to go back to work when the, the time is right. That's really helpful. And just to also in that question around demographics, I know the two of you are actually appearing on a SHRM webinar in May around supporting employee uh, behavioral health at work. I know I've had a preview of some of what you're going to be showing and just striking data. You know, you're curating some of the most recent reports and 
really heartbreaking data where you're seeing the spikes. And and one particular area is, is the younger generation. So I know you reference a Kaiser Family Foundation uh, analysis, uh, Phil, where they took the US Census Bureau Household Pulse Survey from 2020, and they were sort of essentially showing how those aged 18 to 24 were accounting for 56% of all anxiety and or depressive disorders during the pandemic. So that's a huge um, segment in that Gen Z sort of age. Could you speak to that and how that generation is being impacted? Absolutely. Their their life was turned on its uh, head. Uh, things that they do to make things uh, satisfactory, to enjoy themselves, to feel good about themselves, to raise their self-esteem. All of those are, are compromised. Uh, simple, straightforward uh, fact. They're at home more than they were before the pandemic. Uh, they don't see their friends uh, as be before the pandemic. Uh, they don't know what's right, what's wrong. Uh, are they gonna, should they help their families, uh, their, their parents, uh, or what do they do? That's an age group that's got young children. Uh, those young children are likely, 90% likely, they're in the house. Uh, and, you know, the father who isn't used to going, is not used to staying around and taking care of the kids. Uh, you know, they're, they're having to do different kinds of things. And, you know, you know keep in mind that these uh, pandemic symptoms, if you will, are multiple uh, perspectives to them. They impact on not just their psychological uh, well-being, but also their physical well-being, their exercise, their diet, uh, things like that. So that makes it that much more complicated. Uh, and the isolation factor, uh, that then adds to it even more. And depending on what kind of skills they have uh, in order to, to manage their lives in an awkward situation like this, some people will have more skills than others. Uh, but by and large, it's a different uh, kind of uh, recipe, if you will, than when something like a pandemic is not uh, not keeping us all uh, trapped in their homes, if you will. Right. And Swapnil, I'd love for your perspective also, because particularly from an employer perspective, this is Gen Z seem to be one of the largest working populations, right? Any thoughts you have? Yep, absolutely, uh, Claire. So, you know, as you mentioned, Gen Z is basically, we're talking about 18 through 24 uh, year uh, demographic there. And we have to remember, and I think from an employer's perspective, there are two things to note here. One is a lot of this population is about to enter the workforce or, or just entering the workforce. And how are we really set up as employers to provide the right, highly effective benefits for them, recognizing, again, the year that they are going through or they would have gone through if you're looking just a couple of years ahead when this, when a lot of this population will be entering the workforce, then the mental health needs will be quite different for this population. And how, as employers, are we setting us, ourselves up to be able to support those needs, to be able to attract that talent, engage that talent, retain that talent? And the other thing, which perhaps is some somewhat more immediately um, relatable, is remembering that these 18-year-olds are related to folks who are in the workforce right now. So think about parents of these 18-year-olds that might be dealing with their teenage children who are going through 
um, depression in some cases, and, you know, in, in a lot of majority of cases, um, less intense mental health challenges, but still real mental health challenges. So what impact does that have on those parents and how as employers are we equipping them to not just take care of themselves, their own mental health, but also be able to support family members' mental health, their friends' mental health, other folks who are important to them in the community, their mental health. So how do we really equip our employees to be able to not just support themselves, but others? Because at the end of the day, it's all related and it all impacts how productive, how engaged, how happy and satisfied are those individuals as employees. The point is really very well taken. Uh, On the other side of the uh, age group is their siblings. Uh, so they've got their parents. What do they do to try to help with them? How do they make themselves feel good? And what about uh, their kid brother or kid sister and how to handle it? Uh, the number of kids that we see going into ERs now uh, with psychiatric issues, uh, I've had in the, in, in the last two months uh, at least five situations where parents with their kids of the age range that we're talking about are in or younger, are in an emergency room for five days, seven days, uh, and not not in a room, private room or anything like that, waiting for placement. And the, the, there's no placement because those uh, those psychiatric beds are, are unbelievably overutilized now. It's just heartbreaking, isn't it? And I know, Phil, you know, you've mentioned that before, before and in, and in some ways, because there's such an over demand right now, you know, what role do employers play in your view in being part of the solution or helping to contribute um, so that parents maybe perhaps can avoid, you know, getting into those situations? I, I think that the main issue is to respect everybody, uh, the employers respecting uh, the employees uh, that if they hear that over the weekend an employer had to be in an emergency room because their you know 12 year old son had done something to himself uh, and they come in or they uh, virtually couldn't back uh, and they're not quite on their game uh, a little support a little acceptance uh, try to wipe out the concept of stigma uh, we we've got a situation our society still has a long way to go uh, to recognize uh, that we are often looking at people with uh, psychiatric problems, mental health issues in a, in a lesser way, uh, which is for the person who's receiving that kind of feedback that uh, impacts on their self-esteem, their ability to work well, et cetera. Uh, and for the employer uh, to have a environment that is free of that kind of stigma situation is going to take a, a, a weight off of uh, everybody in the organization. Swamnal, I'd love to ask you to uh, such a po- great point about the leadership and the, and the uh, getting getting rid of the stigma. Um, what are your thoughts on that question of how employers can can lean in the best practices you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, it's, again, totally, uh, you know, everything that Phil was saying was totally resonating with with me. And I think about it in two primary ways. One is from the perspective of an employer, really making sure that we're providing the right benefits to employees. And I'll unpack that in a minute. 
And then the second one is very much, very, you know, totally in line with what Will, uh, what Phil was sorry sharing. The responsibility that an employer has to really encourage and promote use of those benefits and helping create that culture that fosters mental health support and you know conversations around it, et cetera. So I think both of those roles as employers are are important to play. Um, what do they mean? It's easier said than done, right? First of all, let's acknowledge that, and especially in the current environment we're in, it, it's it's really hard to to do that. And also, what it means to do that well is changing in the again in the environment that we're in, where we are talking about distributed workforces, remote work, etc. So when we talk about providing right benefits, going back also a little bit to what Phil had mentioned about just. Um, a scarcity of supply, right? Not having any um, hospital beds available essentially for these mental health needs. There is a real opportunity for employers to, when selecting the right benefits, really thinking about solving for access. So are we utilizing the digital health um, landscape that we that is you know that has been actually around for a few years, but certainly over the last year has really exploded. Are we utilizing that landscape? Are we bringing the uh, digital healthcare um, as well? Because frankly, it also helps with demand management. So if if people who may not need that in-person level of care are getting the support that they need early on, then the in-support, uh, sorry, in-person support is then reserved for those who actually need it. So there's this making sure that people are being navigated to the right care and then when they are needing the the you know the therapy support etc or in person support they are being routed to it in a responsible manner and there are some solutions that do that better than others so are we selecting the, the right ones and then not forgetting the role that employers need to own in terms of helping foster that culture that supports mental health. So are we actually training our executives, our leaders, our managers appropriately? Are we providing access to things like mental health first aid at work to our employees? Are we thinking about our policies and procedures to ensure that there is an opportunity for employees to take advantage of what is being offered to them? Is there that flexibility? So how do we actually make sure as employers that we are providing the right solutions, creating the right environment for employees to utilize those? And then perhaps the one thing I will add is making sure that the solution providers are being kept accountable. So there's a real challenge right now in the industry where we don't really have that transparency. There's a scarcity of data on utilization and employers often don't know who's, you know, are, are my employees using the solutions that I provide in what way and is it effective? So really pressing solution providers to give the the right KPIs, make them transparent. Of course, you have to um, respect privacy and confidentiality, but there are ways, an aggregated way for employers to get a real good sense of what data is being used, In uh, sorry, uh, what solutions are being used, how much, and are they actually effective or not? So I know I said a lot there, but I did want to make sure that while while this mental health is a very personal challenge, employers can play a big role there. And there are different ways of making sure that we get the most impact for any money spent on mental health support. Phil, I wonder if we could close, like right now, obviously people are getting vaccinated. Uh, things are shifting. The economy is shifting. More and more offices will be reopening and in some ways 
there might be heightened anxiety around this time for, for some people. Like you said, they, they shifted <laughs> and now about to shift again. Are there any best practices you'd leave our audience with of how employers can help? I think it's a, a complicated situation that can be helped by the employer being very clear in terms of communicating uh, what the expectations are uh, and small steps. Uh, and put the put those two things together and a recognition of resources that are there uh, for this very reason. Uh, and it kind of plays into the other things that we were talking about, the employer becomes aware of. Uh, and we'll use those things if given permission, if you will, uh, if the employer is saying we have these uh, and we want you back and we want you to be happy uh, back at uh, work and let us know if there's something that we can do to uh, to make the transition better. Uh, that, that kind of coaching, uh, I think, would be very, very important. I think one thing I wanted to add, picking up on that. Uh, Phil around, yes, being very clear with expectations. Also, I think employers will need to recognize that there is going to be some level of distribution in workforce going forward. So not everybody is going to be willing to get back into the office, at least in the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. And how do we evolve our practices as employers to accommodate that? And I'll take a very silly example here. Uh, We've all gotten used to virtual meetings. Virtual meetings are okay when everybody is virtual and we're all talking to a screen and we're looking at each other's faces, et cetera. Imagine a world now where we're going to have 50% of the meeting attendees in the same conference room and 50% of the folks are on Zoom. How do we make sure that the entire audience is still engaged in that meeting and we don't forget the folks who are not in the room You know that they are also present and they also might have ideas to share? So it, it's a small example, but there will need to be that heightened awareness. Uh, and again, employers and leaders uh, at, at, at employers will need to be aware of that and think about what is that new way of, um, of, of including, of inclusion looks like where you may have part of your workforce that may stay, not, that may stay distributed or may not choose to come back into the office. It's such a great point, Swapnil, and and really a great way for us to close today. You know, as we move forward with wellness now very much front and center, perhaps this could be a time where we're really breaking down a lot of the stigma and providing that access, that early intervention you've both been speaking about. So thank you both so much for coming on the show and look forward to speaking to you again. Unum is a registered trademark and marketing brand of Unum Group and its insuring subsidiaries.